right here from the pregnancy center. It says, Dear Pastor, it is fast approaching Mother's Day and beginning on our annual baby food, uh, baby food, baby, baby bottle fundraiser. This is our only fundraiser for the year, but God has been faithful, providing for all our other needs of our clients during the year. Um, I'm not going to read all that. I'll pin, we'll pin this up over here, but the baby bottle drive uh, will start. Let's see. They're going to be leaving the baby bottles at our church doorsteps the week of May 3rd through the 6th. It's the week before Mother's Day. Um, and then we run that through Father's Day. Is that right? So Mother's Day through Father's Day, we'll be taking up baby bottles. Um, we'll get y'all bottles out here here pretty soon. It's it's good. It's a it's been a it's it's just a great thing to do. We've been doing it now. I've got one at the house. I've been pestering Dana with it for the past year. I just like thermal change in there. So we'll we'll be doing that again this year to help raise support for the pregnancy center. And also um, last year, you guys done the uh, the uh, food drive for the North Carolina Baptist Children's Home and the church. Y'all done great. I think it was right at $900 that we brought in through uh, cash donations and um, gift cards. So if y'all want to do that again, we can set that up and we'll put a box up and you guys can just drop your your uh, cards or whatever in that thing. And we'll do it the whole month of April. I, it just blew my mind. Y'all done amazing last year with that. And uh, I know it was much appreciated and supported down there. And in Winston, so if y'all if y'all want to do that, we'll make a box and stick up here, and I don't know whether to put Kristen in charge of that again this year or not. You, you, you okay? We'll, we'll do that. We'll we'll just throw you under the bus again. Let's let somebody else do that. And then next Monday, <clears throat> we have next Monday night here, not tomorrow, but the following Monday, we'll have our spring uh, Avery Baptist Association meeting is going to be held here at the church. Um, I think we're going to do, what'd you say, cakes and coffee or something like that for afterwards, just something simple. But it, it shouldn't last long. It's just a, a spring meeting, so we'll have just a, a few people representing the churches here, and then uh, we'll go over a few topics, for, to some things for us to look forward to for this year. And it'll be, I guess, will it be Bob's first one? Bob's first, yeah. Yeah, I don't see how nervous he gets. Yeah, we'll... We'll see how that goes, but we'll be here next Monday night at uh, some time. I don't know yet. I've read it three times. I can't remember anything about it, but we'll be here hosting it. We'll be back over in First Peter chapter two again t- today. First Peter two. I can't get out of. Don't plan on getting out of it anytime soon. We'll just keep on trucking with it. It's just been a. It's been a good study for me. Keith, I get tickled. Keith talks about in the mornings how he just crams. He gets up on a Sunday morning. He just crams. And I, me, Lord, I'm I'm at it all week long. I just I'm sitting there taking little notes throughout the week. I try to get my three or four points together and then start building off of that. And and then smart Alec back here in the back, he just gets up and reads and crams. And I wish I could do that, but I have been reading through Peter, First Peter, and uh, here we are, First Peter chapter two. We're going to be verse eleven this time, uh, and we're going to look at living a godly life. And that's that's a lot to ask. For me to stand up here and tell you that you need to live a godly life, that's kind of hard to say. That's kind of that's that's a that's not something I should be telling you to do. To be honest with you, that's something that Jesus has told us to do. That's something that the Bible continues to instruct us to do: live a godly life. So I shouldn't have to tell y'all, and I probably shouldn't be told, but it's good to be reminded every now and then that we are to live. A godly life, as as much as possible, live a godly life. We live in a time 
when the flesh and 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 or the we'll just call it the sinful nature it's it's exalted it's it's something that the, this world has set up on a pedestal it's something that that you know these evil desires that we have are honored and it's when you when you watch the news or you listen to uh these these podcasts out here now and you, you listen to the things that are going on in the world it's amazing he's starting to talk now can y'all tell <laughs> it's it's amazing how the evil in this world is exalted how it's lifted up how it's praised when somebody is corrupt or they have stolen something or they've done something that's just is terribly bad but they're exalted for what they've done that's the kind of that's the day and time that we live in right now nowadays a person's value and image is determined by by what they own their image is determined by how much money they have. It's determined by how many vacation days they, they're able to take. It's determined by how famous that they become. That's just the day and time that we live in. We live in a time when the murder of innocent babies is, is normal and it's perfectly legal. That's not the kind of time that we want to be living in when you can exalt that and you can set abortion up as okay it's not okay by no means is it okay we live in a time where homosexuality is looked at as a normal relationship that's not okay that's not the day and time that we want to be raising our children up in it's not okay and i'll stand against that we live in a time where lying to climb the corporate ladder of success is okay no matter how many people you hurt on the way up no matter how, how many heads that you step on and fingers that you mash and toes that you mash to get up to the top of that ladder, it's okay. That's the way the world says. It's okay. Just keep knocking them off. Just keep hurting people so that you can get to the top of that rung, to the top of that ladder, so that you can make more money, so that your name can be exalted, so that your image can be lifted up. It's okay. That's what the world's telling us. And I wish I could stand up here this morning and say that this is the way of life in the world only. But it's not. Unfortunately, some of these issues have crept into our churches. This is where it gets sad. This is where it gets really bad. We think of success in a church of, as uh, how many people attend preaching or Sunday school. We think that's successful. Now, as a pastor, would I love to see this place packed out? Yes. But as a pastor, I'd rather see people that are here, that are here to worship and so, yeah, we've got empty seats, but I'd rather the seats be filled with people that are here to worship God and not just here because it's a thing to do on Sunday. Yeah, now, there are churches out there that, and they're few and far between now, that they vote annually on their pastor. And if that pastor is not bringing in more people, they'll vote him out. If that pastor has not baptized a lot of people that year, they'll vote him out. They'll ask him to resign. They'll ask him to step aside. That's the way it is. But it's because of nickels and noses. That's what the churches are looking for now. They just want a lot of people and make a lot of noise. I've got a cousin by marriage that's a pastor, was a pastor. He's not now. And that was, that's one of the things that drives me crazy. The last time I met him, the last time I talked to him, and I made it a point to be the last time I talked to him for a while, we were at a funeral. And he said, this is his words, how many are you running on Sundays? That was his words. How many are you run on Sundays? And I looked at him, I said, you talking about cattle or church members? 
It wasn't, how's the church? Is it growing? How's the preaching? How's, he, it wasn't anything about how God is blessing the church. It's how many people you got there. And I left on that. I didn't finish, I didn't finish that conversation. When I said, you're talking about cattle or church members, and he said church members, I just walked away. That's not how it ought to be. Pastors are asked to resign because baptism numbers. Now, I love seeing baptisms. I, I, there ain't a preacher I know that doesn't love to be involved in a baptism. That just means the church is growing, but it also means that heaven is growing because that's that public display of love for Jesus saying that, hey, guys, listen, I've turned my life around. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want the whole world to know that he is my Lord and Savior. Now, numbers are low. We do those reports, annual reports that go back to the state of those numbers. Some, some years you see huge increases. Some years you see a decline in it. But that shouldn't always be the pastor's fault when those numbers are coming down. And so whenever they ask the pastor to resign because they ain't baptized enough, it's all about nickels and noses for the church leaders, and that's, that's sad. We tend to compromise on our, our biblical stands because we're afraid of offending the lost world. Folks, don't sugarcoat it. When it comes to preaching the Bible, when it comes to what you believe in the Word of God, you stand on it and you stand firm. It don't matter how many toes you step on. It doesn't matter how many people you offend. Offend them. I don't call it being offensive. I call it the Holy Spirit convicting. If what the Bible says offends somebody, they need to search their heart and get things right. So keep preaching it. Keep telling them about Jesus and what... The Word of God says about His love and how we should be as Christians, but do it with grace. Now, it grabs me to no end when preachers refuse to call sin, sin. And I won't get on this soapbox, but y'all know how I feel about a certain preacher, TV evangelist. And, and the love gospel, the sugar-coated message, Rita's smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> she knows. Call sin, sin. That's not a lot to ask, is it? As a preacher, as a pastor, that is my responsibility. I can't sugarcoat that. Jesus didn't. You, tell, you find it in the Bible where he sugarcoated sin, where he said it's okay to do this or to do that. Don't sugarcoat sin. Call it what it is. Sin is sin. It irks me to no end when these preachers, these church leaders get up and they say that, Abortion is okay. They get up there and they say it's not our problem because women have the right to choose what to do with that baby. No, it is not. What the Bible tells us, it's an abomination. Abortion is wrong. It is wrong. I was at a, a meet and greet last night up in Matney. And one of the candidate, the candidate that's running against Virginia Fox, somebody asked him, what's your stance on abortion? He said, I am pro-life. Pro-life. But, and he gave four reasons why he said abortion was okay. So after the meeting, everybody's pretty quick to tell him, you're not pro-life. If you have four reasons that you can abort a baby, you're not pro-life. You're not. But when the man of God can get behind the pulpit and stand here and say, it's okay to have abortions, our world is falling apart. Our world is mm, innocent babies being killed. One more thing, and I'm going to move on. 
That's one of those things that people don't like to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it real fast. The world says homosexuality is okay, but when it gets into the church and the preachers call it just another way of life, an alternative lifestyle, that is wrong. That is wrong. That's against the Word of God. That is not living a godly life. By no means is that living a godly life. And so when churches start supporting that way of life, that's not living a godly life. That church is not living a godly life. Those members are not living a godly life. And that church leadership, they should be stripped of their powers and moved on out the door because that is not supposed to be supported in the church by the church members, and it is not supported by the Word of God. And I will not stand for it. I will not stand with it. Today, Peter's going to outline for us, it's a plea to live a godly life, and he's going to give us three reasons of why we should live a godly life. Now, I don't need but one reason to live a godly life. That's because God wants me to. But Peter's going to give us three reasons why it's so important to live a godly life. If you've got your Bibles, stand with me just a second. We're going to be in, uh, again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Verse 11. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father God, this, we come back to you this morning. God, I pray for... Oh, Lord, God, I pray for words today. Lord, I pray that you would just put in my mouth what needs to be said. God, I pray that whether it be offensive, whether it steps on toes, Lord, I pray that it be what, what you would have said and spoken and what those need to, that need to hear it, Lord, that they get it. And, Lord, this morning as we prayed, I, God, I pray that you would be with those churches around us. Father, we're getting close to the end times. God, I pray for salvation. Lord, I pray that these preachers will keep preaching sin. And how wrong it is. Hell's hot. Heaven is forever. Heaven is sweet. And I pray, God, we not get away from that as preachers of the gospel. Lord, I pray today if there be one lost in these churches, that today would be their day of salvation. And Lord, I pray today, as we go into your word, that we would see how important it is for us as a church, for us as Christians, for us as individuals, to live a more godly life. A life that would be pleasing to you. A life that would glorify your name. A life that proves that we love you and that we have given our heart and our lives to you. Lord, I pray today that you would just uh, open up our hearts here today. Lord, I pray that we have, we have confessed our sins. Lord, I pray that we came in here cleaned up and ready to, to worship you. And Lord, we've left the things of this world outside these doors. And Lord, I pray when we walk out of these doors, we not pick them back up. We love you this morning. I'll listen to your son's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. First thing we're going to look at this morning, we should live a godly life because we are strangers and pilgrims on earth. And we've talk, we talk about this pretty often. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. This is not our home. As Christians, this is not our home. As unbelievers, this is not your home either. And that's unfortunate. As Christians, heaven is our home. As unbelievers, hell will be your home for eternity. There's no way around it. You're going to get one or the other. It's totally up to you where you want to go. 
Now, verse 11 tells us again, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Now, this has become kind of a theme to the, the book of Peter here that we've been in. Believers are only strangers living in this world. That's what we are. We're just strangers, just, just passing right on through. The use of the word pilgrim in this verse, it gives us a more a temporary idea than just strangers. The word pilgrim means that we are staying for just a little while, but not long enough to, to lease a house. I can't remember which one of my commentaries got that from, but I like that. We're staying here just a little while, just not long enough to lease a house. As believers, we're only passing through on our way home to heaven. We're just stopping by for a little while. We're just swinging by. Think of it just like Jesus. Jesus was just passing by for those 33 and a half years that he was here on earth. He was just stopping by and, and performing miracles and showing us. And we talk about it this morning a little bit. He was, he, was, he was God with flesh on him. He was just here for a little while so that he could set up and establish and, and try to get as many disciples and believers as he could to understand why he was here, that he was the Messiah. And, and Keith, you never did get on around to it, but one of the things that I thought I thought I think about when we were talking about that lesson this morning is, yeah, we talked about the uh, the Roman soldier that said, "Surely this is the Son of God." After Jesus died, but what did it take for the disciples after Judas was out of the picture? What did it take for the disciples to believe that Jesus was who Jesus said he was? Was it the death? Now, I think they lost all faith after that. He's not here. Was it the resurrection? Nah, that probably got him going. I think it was the ascension. I think 10 days later, I think it was the ascension when they said, by George, he is who he says he is. Holy smoke, there he goes. And he's, he's gone. But Jesus was here for just a few years, just tarrying around. He was a pilgrim here on earth. We are too. Most of us have made it past 33 and a half, I think. Well, there's some younger ones here. So we've already spent more time here on earth than Jesus did. Have we accomplished as much in our time here on earth as Jesus did on his short time here on earth? Probably not. Now, I'm not saying we're going out here and we're going to be performing miracles and doing that, but what are we supposed to be doing? We can do what he did, and that is help Build up disciples, make disciples. It is for us to be a witness and to give our testimony and to lead others to Jesus. That's what we are to do as Christians, lead others. We are just passing through. So while we're here, let's see if we can't help others get to heaven as well. Help lead them, pray for them, read the scripture to them. Be like that, that eunuch and, and, uh, and, uh, and Philip. Where, you know, he's, he's reading it, he just don't understand it. And I say, he says, I wish somebody would explain this to me. And he explained it to him. And he took him down and he baptized him. Then he went on back home and his family was saved. That's what we're here to do. Be like Philip. Try to explain the scripture to somebody so they can understand it. And so they will be saved. They can take it back home. Their family would be saved. That's what we're doing as pilgrims. We are just passing through and passing the message along as we go through this life. Everywhere we go, be a pilgrim. We're not there very long. We're just passing through. Now, I think about it this way. We're, we're to live with our thoughts on home. 
And I know I talked about this not too long ago. We need to live this life here on earth right now thinking about what's to come, thinking about what's in store. As believers, all you need to do is just keep looking up because one of these days that eastern sky is going to split wide open and we're going to go home. That's what I think about. I don't just think about heaven. I think about that sky splitting and that trumpet sounding and I'm just getting carried away. That's what I like to think about. As believers, we're supposed to be focused on what's to come, and that's heaven. And keep your mind on that. Now, I think I said this a few weeks ago, but when I traveled a lot, that was always on my mind, home. No matter where I went in this world, my thoughts, my mind was always back here. It was at home with the youngins. It was always back here at church. Always. That's the way we're to live this life. Because we're not home. When you go on vacation, when you leave your home place and you go somewhere else, where, where's your mind always wander back to? Home. Home. I want to go home. I'm ready to go home. Abby, bless her heart, that young gets homesick after about two days. She cannot stand to be away from the house. It don't matter if she's down at my mom and dad's house or uh, mother-in-law's house, wherever she's at. She's ready to come home pretty quick. We should be homesick. That's what, As a believer in Jesus Christ, we should be homesick every single day. All we should think about is being home with Jesus, being home with loved ones that have gone on before us, those pilgrims that have finally made it to their, their resting place, wherever their pilgrimage has led them through this world, they finally ended up in heaven where they wanted to be. As we live out our lives here on earth, our minds and our hearts are always on heaven, which is our permanent home. This means that we don't get caught up in the, the worldly things and the worldly customs that are going on here. We cannot get caught up in what the devil has going on down here on earth. Keep your mind focused on heaven. We don't practice these lifestyles we practice the lifestyle of heaven. What is the lifestyle of heaven? You ever, you ever, does that ever just cross your mind? What is the lifestyle of heaven? We know when we get to heaven that there's going to be a lot of fellowship. We know there's going to be a lot of worship. We know there's going to be a lot of singing going on. Why can't we start now? Why in the world can't we start now? Why can't we start practicing a lifestyle of heaven? Right now on earth, there's no reason we can't. Folks, there's no reason we can't practice a lifestyle of heaven right now. Whether it's getting up and singing or going out and praising the Lord wherever we go. That's practicing a lifestyle of heaven. Why not? What's stopping you? Don't worry about looking bad or sounding bad. I sound bad all the time. I was having an off morning this morning trying to sing. I, I had something in my throat. I can't sing anyway, but it got even worse. I enjoyed it. I enjoy being able to sing, praising the Lord, making a joyful noise. That's exactly what it is for me, a noise. Why can't we do that? Why can't we practice a heavenly lifestyle before we even get to heaven? There's no reason we can't. Now, this word stranger right here, it literally means Someone who lives alongside or is ex exiled, but their home is somewhere else. 
That's, again, that's us. Our home is somewhere else. When we leave here after a while, we're going to go to Vilas, and we're going to park that car at 128 Jacks Road, and we're going to go in there, and I'm going to eat me a big old bowl of soup. But that's not my home. That's not my That's my house. That's not my home. My home is heaven. When you leave this place here after a while, you're going to go to your house. And you're going to fix you a mater sandwich, or you're going to get you some fried bologna, and you're going to sit down, and you're going to eat, but you're going to eat at your house. Someday, we will go home, and we're going to sit at that big old marriage supper of the Lamb, and we're going to sit there, and we're going to feast. But we're going to feast at home, not a house, because we're going to make it home. We're strangers now. We're pilgrims now. But one day, one day we'll make it home. We're going to be home. Number two, we should live a godly life because sin will war against our souls. And that's, that's verse 11 again. And it tells us, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Every person who reaches the age of accountability knows what the desires of sinful nature is like. Every single one of us. And if I need to define that, I'll, I'll just go ahead and define the age of accountability. It's when you come to the knowing, understanding of who God is and what he can do to you for you. Is there an age? No. There's no set age. Some people say 12. I will say you're wrong. I will say you're wrong. There are kids that are probably four or five years old know more than about God and his love than some 60 or 70-year-olds do. What is that age? There is no age. I'd say there's probably people that are 80, 90 years old in third world countries that have never heard about God. They've not reached that age of accountability yet. I'm chasing rabbits, but I'll say that's why we need to be supporting missionaries. There's still people in this world that have never heard about God, but they have lived sin, sin-filled lives. Every one of us knows what the desires of sinful nature is like, what it feels like. Those desires that you get, those sinful desires, the, the flesh or this sinful uh, desire, it's, it's, it's strong. Whenever we get that desire in us, it is extremely strong. That's where the devil has just got in and just absolutely turned our lives upside down. And it's hard to control that desire on our own. We can't do it on our own, to be honest with you. It's a, it's a never-ending assault that the devil has going on with our bodies right now. He will find things that we love in the flesh, and he will keep throwing them out there at us. And he's testing our, our, how weak we are, how weak that flesh is. What are the acts of sinful nature? Paul tells us over in Galatians 5.19, he says, Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. That's a long list of stuff, and there's more. And there's more. I can sum it up like this, though. Anything that's displeasing to God, that's sinful. Anything that's displeasing to God. These sinful desires, they war against our soul. The flesh, the 
flesh is so strong that it actually keeps us from doing what we know is right. Because, like Preacher Ray says, if it, just feel, if it feels good, just do it. That's the kind of mindset that we have right now. It's the mentality that we have as, as believers. If it, just, if it feels right, just do it. Just do it anyway. How many times have we had an urge from the flesh and we, we wasn't where we needed to be spiritually and we gave in? I bet you could probably count on one or two hands this week how much you gave in. Amen or oh my. That's the way it is. It's, it's, it's not something that just happens every now and then. It happens almost on a daily basis for us as Christians. The more in love and the deeper we fall in love with God, the stronger and stronger the devil, uh, or the more and the more the devil is going to try to get a hold of us. And, and the stronger those desires are going to be. The closer you get to God, the stronger those desires to, to war against the flesh are going to be. Here's some things I wrote down last night. Like I said, I was at a meet and greet, so I had time to sit and think because I didn't want to listen to what they had to say. I was sitting there thinking about things that we war against on a daily basis. And you know what the very first thing was that came to my mind? Don't laugh because in just a second it's going to hit you pretty hard. We overeat. We overeat. Now think back to what we was doing this time last Sunday. <laughs> we was overeating. I was. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I, I was thrown down on some bacon. That was good. But that's, that's one of those things that we struggle with, ain't it? Overeating. We're not to do that. How many times did you get mad this week? Don't answer that. That's not good. That's the devil. I was hoping, <laughs> I was hoping that... Uh, VJ and Judy be here this week. One stopped smoking and the other stopped chewing. They may be dead right now. I don't. They may have killed each other. I, I got a message from Judy earlier this week. She said, "Pray, pray for me. <laughs> it's getting strong." <laughs> I bet it is. I can't imagine. I can't. I've never. I've never had to 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 quit an addiction like that. I can't imagine what it is. How many times have you done evil things, lusted, got prideful, cursed, acted selfishly, cheated, lied, or stole? Not that you've done all those these this week, but I bet in a month's time, all that stuff is probably, some of it, the majority of it's probably come to, to mind because that's what, it, that's what the devil's doing. He's throwing all that stuff against us. And as the Bible says right here, it says, which war against the soul, those things war against us. The flesh is so strong that it keeps, it keeps us from doing what is right. It's the flesh. The flesh gets you in trouble. The flesh, flesh is dangerous. It's dangerous business. The only hope of ever controlling the flesh is to walk in the Spirit of God, in His presence, and in His power. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, For the weapons of war, and back up, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It is only through God that we can fight and that we can battle against the war of the flesh. We can't do it on our own. we got to have Him. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We're told strongly 
And again, the Bible is what Peter's telling us. He said, abstain from sinful desires which war against the soul. We should run from them. Run, run away. Get away from it. Run to Jesus. Get to Jesus as quickly as you can so that he can help you get away from it. Because the flesh, it can do unbelievable damage to your soul when you allow the devil into it. These sinful desires, they enslave us no matter what the desire are, desires are. They enslave us. They pull us away from church. They pull us away from family. They pull us away from our friends. They enslave us. Desire for drugs enslaves us. The desire for alcohol, it enslaves us. The, the desire for nicotine, it can enslave us. The desire for pornography, it enslaves us. The, the, the desire for power, it enslaves us. The desire for money, it enslaves us. You get the picture? You get the picture now? The things that the devil, the tools that the devil uses against us, it enslaves us. The more we follow these sinful desires, the less freedom and liberty we have. Stay away from them. You run away from them as fast as you can. We become slaves to what? we set our hearts and our minds on. So if we can get our hearts and our minds off of these sinful things that enslave us and get our hearts and minds focused back on God, then we're going to focus on that. We're, it's going to, we're going to allow it to, to lead us. Let me tell you one thing about desires. They will dis disrupt your life. They will destroy your life. They will disrupt your family's life, and they will destroy your family's life. Those desires will disrupt your church life. Those desires will destroy your church life. Those desires will destroy your testimony. Be careful with those desires. Number three, last thing. We should live a godly life because an unbelieving world is watching. Look at verse 12 again. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. If I could sing, I'd sing that little song for you, the one we sang with the youngins. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Careful little eyes what you see. Careful little mouth what you say. Yeah, that's us. We've got to be careful with what we say and do in this world because this unbelieving world that's around us, they're watching us. They're watching the Christians, and right now, the world is watching the church. Again, some of these TV evangelists are making these little churches like us look really bad. The things that they say and do, the things that they support and endorse, they're making us look bad. They're making the church look bad. They're making Christians look bad. But the world is watching us. This is what Peter's building up to right here in these, these two verses. The unbelieving world is watching every move. Now, the word good in there, in that verse right there, let me tell you what it means. It means a life that is honorable, righteous, pure, decent, excellent, upright and noble we live a life that is above blame because the world 
will accuse. They are looking for every opportunity to get a hold of us as a church and as Christians. They're looking for one slip. That's all they're looking for. They just want one opportunity to tear you apart. 45 years to build up your testimony. 45 seconds to tear it down. That's all it takes. That's what the world's looking at. That's what they're looking for. They want us to mess up. Stay strong. Stay strong. Stand on the Word of God. Stand on what you know is right. Stay strong. Like I've said time and time again, y'all realize it's been six years today y'all voted me in? That just don't on me. Six years. How many, I don't know how many times I've said this in the past six years, but you might be the only Bible that somebody ever reads. I'm telling you the truth right now. This world needs to be reading your Bible. <laughs> we need to be living a more godly life. We need to be living a life that when these people out here that are against God or against church or against religion or against Jesus or, or all, any of those things, that they can see us, they're going to look at us, and they're going to think, that's really not such a bad life after all. They do have it pretty good right now. They've got joy in their heart. That's what I want people to see, the joy in our hearts. We've all got joy in our hearts. That's what we want people to see. Don't give Satan that foothold. Don't give Satan that opportunity to find a, a small crack or a, a, a missing link in your chink of your armor of God where he can get a, a fingernail or a toenail or a toehold inside that thing and tear you apart. Don't give him that opportunity. Stay strong. Keep your armor on, head to toe. Keep it on, keep it on tight. Keep that shield up and that sword high. And you fight. On a daily basis, you fight for what you know is right. You fight for what you know is biblically right. And you be a representation of Jesus Christ down here. Let the world see you, but let the world see Jesus in you. Everywhere you go, because everywhere you go, the world is watching you. Be living examples of God's word. A lost and dying world right now is watching you. Why do you think we're a minority now? Why do you think the unbelievers are the majority now? They're watching us, and they're tearing us apart. And our numbers get lower and lower and lower. When was the last time you were accused of being a Christian because it was evident in the way that you lived? That's a pretty harsh, strong question right there. And I cannot think, for right now, I cannot think of the name of that song. Don Rigsby sings a song about going to, he had a dream about going to court and and he was judged. I, I don't want to try to get into it right now because I'm going to mess it up. But it, it's, a, it's a bluegrass song, so I'm sure nobody else has heard it. At least in my family, I know they ain't listened to it. But that's the question that uh, that whole song that kind of comes up. When was the last time that you were accused of being a Christian because it was evident in the way that you lived? When folks see you, do they do they know you're a Christian just by the way you act, the way you talk, things you say, and the things that you do? Can they see that in you? I hope so. I hope they can. Stay with me just a moment. We're going to close out.
careful what you say. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you hear. Be careful. Be really careful right now. We know the devil is a he's a, he's a, he's re- he's he's just ready to pounce. He's ready he's just just sitting there waiting for you to turn. It's it's like deer hunting. Deer comes walking in at you and he's coming and he's and he's walking towards you and knows something's going on and they'll look up at that tree stand, they'll look at you for a little bit. But that moment that they turn their head and they look away or their head goes behind that tree or that bush, what do you do? You drop the hammer on them. That's what you do. That's what the devil's doing. We've got our eyes focused on Jesus. And just as soon as we take our eyes off Jesus, the devil's going to drop the hammer on us. He's going to smoke us. And we've got to be ready. We've got to stay, stay vigilant and ready to fight at all times. And just hope there ain't a doe down the road there snorting, catching wind of you. <laughs> Travis got it. Drop hammer on her too. Let's pray. Father God, tonight as we close out, Lord, we just want to thank you for love and grace and mercy. Thank you for understanding. Lord, today we just want to thank you for being who you are, for loving us when nobody else would love us, for caring for us, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us. We thank you for that. We love you and we praise you for that. Today, God, as we leave this place, I pray that we would take off out of this church with the whole armor of God strapped on tight, that banner flying high so the whole world could see us, see you and us, and they could feel and experience the joy that we have in our hearts. Lord, as we said, the the world's watching us. Is the world watching Chestnut Dale Baptist Church? Absolutely. Is the world watching? Watching Willow Valley Baptist Church right now? Absolutely. Is the world watching your church right now? Absolutely. And I pray that we be great representatives of the kingdom today as we leave this place. Not a representative of Chestnutdale, but a representative of the church. And as your son Jesus Christ is the head of that church, I pray that we honor him in all that we do. Lord, as we go about our business this week, may we glorify you. May we live more godly lives. And may this message this morning, Lord, may it just touch our lives and make us want to be more godly individuals. I pray, God, that you'd be with us this week. Keep us safe in our travels. Keep us safe at our homes. Lord, be with our children as they go back to school. Be with us as we go back to work. But, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as we come back here at the next appointed time. All this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.